Oh, because I, I, I got it. She was healed and asked me how she was doing. And, and she said she was, she found out finally what was causing that big pain in her legs. And so that helped restore her right there. Right. And she could move on from there. So it works. It was amazing. <laughs> we say it like it's our first discovery, but we know that it's not. We know that it's not. God never really ultimately surprises us with that, but we feel like we're always amazed by it. You know, I feel like preaching this morning. I feel like preaching this morning. You feel like letting me preach this morning? Amen. I like this title of the sermon, Your Soul Mission. I notice how it's spelled. Just pay attention to that, Your Soul Mission. I want you to look into Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray again. I'm going to pray again. I love being in the presence of the Lord. Do you guys feel the presence of God in this place this morning? Brother, I think the Lord's just going to heal you. I just feel like that. I'm going to say it because I want. I'm I'm going to believe and expect it. While we're singing and worshiping, I feel like God's doing something. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. I I, I want to I, I want to highlight this. This wasn't this this wasn't in the first part of my notes, but I want to highlight that when he finds it, he lays it over his shoulders and he goes home and he calls all of his friends together. You know, when somebody gets born of, of God, when somebody's born again, you know what I mean. When they're regenerated, old things have passed away, all things have become new. They the sin has been washed away at the altar. When it's finally just got finally washed away and it's over with. The battle of sin is over with for them. They're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Why don't we get together and have a party? Why don't we throw a celebration for the soul that's just now been born of God? Jesus, and this is what the Scripture is saying, is that He gets together because over one lost sheep, the idea for perhaps back then was this was their income, this was their livelihood, this was, this was immense and important to them. And if that's what a sheep is for a shepherd, that's what it is in the worldly sense. How much more? One more soul. Just one more soul. Isn't there an old song that says just one more soul? One more soul, Lord. I don't know the rest of the song, but I know that part of the song. I know what it means, too. And I just think about that. You know, it's important for us to revisit the day when we kind of got washed for the first time, when we knew what it was like to have Jesus cleanse us. And you're, you know, you bathe the altar in tears, just letting the Lord change you, 
letting the Lord take you to this new realm where you've never been before. And for the first time in your life, you're beginning to experience that life. Never forget that moment with Him. And remember that the angels rejoice. The angels in heaven, there's a heavenly party, whether it's going on down here or not, folks. Whether it's happening here or not, it's happening up there. There's a song I love by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Write this one down. A song by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. It's called His Favorite Song of All. The Song of the Redeemed. It's one of the most amazing songs. I remember kind of my first coming in to my faith in, in Christ. And I remember that song being my song. It was my song. It was like Jesus' song for me. And how all the anthems and the sounds on earth and the beauty of all of those, nothing is more sweet to Him than the sound of the song of the redeemed. So let's remember that today and as we pray over this community and believe God. Listen to me. As little of a church as we might feel like we are, Jesus just picked 12 disciples and I somehow I can't help but feel like there's more than 12 here. And He took 12 unlearned and ignorant men. He took the lowest, the least likely, and He changed the world and turned it upside down with Him. As we pray for our community, as this church gets on their knees and we say, Lord, we believe You for the lost in our community. We believe You to take those, whether they feel hopeless or not, that just do not know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. We're believing that they're going to sit in these seats. We're going to believe that these churches and these buildings are never going to be big enough for those that Jesus came and died for and was resurrected for. We're going to remember that. I want to share this one first point is that God loves the lost more than you know. God loves the lost more than you know. And you know it to some degree because you know what it's like to have that personal reality of I was lost and now I am found. And you know what it's like to visit those days, to go back down memory lane and think about all that God has brought you through. Think of every blessing you have in your life. Think of the safety and security you've got. Think of the lack of safety and security you have in life. And yet you have the hope that when you die, and when it finally passes beyond this realm, that you get to be with Jesus forever. And the more you think about that, encourage yourself to remember those who don't know that in this community. And know that God loves them immensely. And in these words, penned in this Scripture, that Jesus made the statement, that the, the, the sinners made the statement, that this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus didn't live a sheltered lifestyle. I love that. Jesus didn't get into the sheltered lifestyle that you and I are accustomed to. And as much as we don't want to believe it, we are. We're used to a sheltered lifestyle. And most of it isn't a sheltered lifestyle in the fact that we, and we do, we live happily ever after as it were. We have our homes and our cars of which so many parts of the world don't even have half of what we've got. And even the poorest of us is still rich compared to. And that's not what I mean by this sheltered lifestyle. The sheltered lifestyle is away from sinners. Away from the public in view. Away from the car shows that happen on those days. Away from opportunities to talk and mingle with those who don't know Jesus. Because we feel like once you get in their crowd, you don't feel like there's, there's anything to relate. Because you live in the heavenly realm and you don't relate in their life. But if you go back and you remember what it was like, just think about, I was once one of them. Why should I detract from my time spent with them. Remember this verse in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. Jesus didn't live 
a sheltered lifestyle. Jesus got in and among the lost. Jesus got among sinners. He got among those who were darkened in heart. He lived with, he lived among them. I'm grateful that Jesus was approachable. That Jesus was one that you could come to. That Jesus wasn't so holy that you couldn't touch him. Actually, I would like to say this Jesus was so holy that you could touch him. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a commandment to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, I want to depict, I want to take time myself. If anything, I would like to take time to framework in my own mind as I'm standing here in front of you and think of Jesus, the King of Kings, the living Creator Himself, coming and dwelling among us and in flesh and blood. And He takes on our mortal frame. The infinite, eternal God living in our mortal frame. And while He's in that mortal frame, that He doesn't have the comforts of life. He's denied those. He could have, but He denied them so that He could be among the world. He could be in the worst of the world. He could be those that we would have no contemplation of how to get in front of. You have bikers. You have alcoholics. You have so many from sides of the world that so many of us have have not had a piece of their life. And you don't even know how to relate with them. Because in many ways, we're like even if some of us have been Christian long enough, that once was our life, but it's been so far removed that we don't relate. But their language is so dark. Their lifestyle is so blasphemous. The way that they live, even among so, some that are religious, partially religious, but they're so far from having the habits and the choices that recommend them as a worshiper of the Lord, that when we look into their lives, we're like, I just don't feel comfortable around you. Not only do you not feel comfortable, I don't know how to keep company with somebody like you. And Jesus found a way to get into their life. I remember there was this one Alabama preacher. I love the kind of the southern preachers. I wish I had a little bit of their blood inside of me sometimes. but And maybe I do. You're like, you got a little bit of it, Right? And he said that once, what he would do is he'd do this, I think it was an annual thing, and he'd have a time where he'd get away. He'd leave his church, and he would go into some of the cities, somewhere around, I don't know where he'd go, but different places, and he would live like the homeless. He'd be living just like them, and he'd be in their lifestyle, and he'd minister the gospel to them. That sounds like Jesus to me. That sounds so much like Jesus to me. And I, you know what's interesting is I have remembered that man. I remember. I don't remember the sermon, but I remember this part of that man's life. You know, sometimes things, things get highlighted and you're like, I can't not forget that. And I look at my life and I think, not even close. Not even close. But why not? What's our excuse? What's my reason for not living more like Jesus? And we want, you know... Jesus doesn't look often like, he doesn't look like the suit and tie because that's not the average Joe. Jesus is the one that's got his sleeves rolled up and he's got, he's heavy into the work of being with you and me one way or another. Picture yourself at its worst and Jesus right there by your side. 
Jesus not leaving your company. Jesus doing whatever He could. Because it's just like a patient that has an incurable disease and only such a short time to live. That doctor, his only objective is to be right there by your side as long as he can and with the hope to administer life and healing back into you. So Jesus saw this. The bigger picture was Jesus had made the statement. He said, I didn't come for those that are whole. I came for those who are sinners and not for those who are perfect, so to speak, but I came for the community outside of here. Even if they're not comfortable, even if they got a cuss in front of you, even if they say things and do things, it's like, but I'm still going to be the example in front of you. Praise God that that's my Jesus. Because that's the only Jesus that could have saved me. That's the only Jesus that could have gotten into my life is the one who is willing to be in the uncomfortable. He's the one that's willing to visit the depressed when they're so dark that everything that they say is blackened with this idea of and, and dis, full of the deception. I don't want to live life. I don't want to be here anymore. I have no purpose. And getting in their life and knowing that in the midst of that grind and that darkness that you're there for a reason. You're so much there for a reason. I love this thought. I put this here with us. That Jesus loves the lost more than you know. That Jesus could mingle without being mediocre. See, that's the problem with us. We kind of get mingled and it's like people kind of fall into the, the wayside. And so as much as we see the need out there that we need to live it out, we need to remain pure. See, what I've noticed is this out of all the years of working and laboring and among some of the, you know, the, the cruel of the world, so to speak, when you're working in the construction environment, you're going to get the, you're going to get the mouth, right? And you're going to see things and hear things and jokes are like eye openers to you. You're like, oh my gosh. But one thing I noticed was this. If I would just be pure, if I would just live it out, if I would just be an example, that's what attracted them. That's what made them respectful to me in times where I I couldn't believe that I didn't even tell so-and-so, hey, watch your language, because the other guy that I did talk to a while back went and talked to that guy for me. And what I realized is this, is that most of the time it seemed like what validated me on the workforce was simply that they saw the light. They didn't see somebody who was shifty and back and forth. I remember, I think I've shared this before, but I've got to say it again. I was in a job in Milton Freewater, and we had a couple of these guys, and one of them, boy, oh boy, boy, you could tell he had a lifestyle, and he had a past. And I remember him. He told me one time, he said, I bet these, I'm going to bet these guys their paychecks. And it took about a month for me to figure out what he was trying to bet them their paychecks for. And he expected me to say an off-color joke or to use um, off-color language or something like that just once. He was looking for one little chink in my armor and he was going to bet them. But fortunately, they knew enough about me that they didn't bet their paychecks on it. <laughs> But that day will go on in history to remind me. I remember finally getting around to a conversation with him after a long time of work, days of working, and finally we just talked. And we talked some some pretty some pretty open things. I mean, you got I had a full access into talking to him. And I remember him saying to me, he said, I've never talked to a Christian like you. 
I've never talked to somebody like you before. And you know, he didn't turn his heart, but I, re- I remember walking away from that thinking, I think he's going to have something different to think about from now on. See, there's an impression we, let, we leave, and Jesus had that impression. You know, I think the reason why Jesus was so tangible was because he was so pure. Because he was so pure and he was so humble at the same time. Like, I want this Jesus. I, there's something about humility and purity that go together that the world is needing. And when we're lost in sin, we know that there's something about that purity that keeps calling your name, keeps calling your name. In Luke chapter 7, verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus got himself mixed in in that crowd. And I think we would do good today to say, how do I get mixed in with the crowd? The crowd where the, the, the sinners are sitting at my table, where I invite Joe off the street or the lesbian next door to me or whatever, and I invite him into my house in order to minister to them out of the lifestyle of Christianity. How do I do this? But I don't feel comfortable around them. It doesn't matter. We were so blessed the other day. We had some neighbors just moved from Portland. And I don't see any flaws in their life necessarily. But the beauty of it was they just came strolling up. And it was probably an hour or more talking right there in our front lawn, sharing their life, where they come from, what they're doing. We're like, man, it just feels like this is what life is all about. Getting to know somebody new. Find a new stranger. Get to know their life. Know and what you might find is they're looking for the, the non-mediocre, mingled Christian. You can get in on my business. See, Jesus said the humility of Jesus was welcomed to the circle of the ungodly. And I think that's what stands out the most to me about Jesus is that he was humble. Man, was he humble. He had every right to rebuke, to correct, to slam, to do whatever. And he did many times. And he did when it was necessary. You could see that with a pattern of certain people. They had, they had their mind frame. Jesus had to bring swift and harsh rebuke. But to the common lost soul, Jesus was humble. He was tangible. God is calling us to follow his example. You know, so much of what Jesus did and what he taught to his disciples was exactly what he mimicked. Like they were just seeing what Jesus did. And so when Jesus died, you see the disciples walking the same path, living the same lifestyle, emulating the same kind of humility, being among the the sinful of their community, and still promoting the gospel to those around them. Because see, it's very precious and real to them. So here's my second point. You're like, wow, that was great. So here's the second point here in what we see in this verse in Luke chapter 15, 1-7. And we see that uh, every soul is precious to God. Every soul is so precious to God. That is part of His great love expressed in the Word. Notice it says that He leaves the 99. Just in that one word, leave. I was like, I think there's a sermon in just the word leave. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to get three sermons today. You might just. You might just get three sermons today. But it said leave. And that word caught me because... When you think of, the, it says in, in our favorite scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's hear it. John chapter 3, verse 16. God so? That's right. 
He gave. There was this emptying, this emptying and this getting, this, this loss that comes. I love this song. Tina, thank you for picking that song. I think the Lord gave that to us. Is there's this loss that comes with um, God leaving. And see, this is the thing. is that He left the 90 and 9, and I don't think that's a picture of God leaving the church. But I think it's a picture of us seeing that as a, the, the need that somebody that doesn't know this, what Jesus really is, right? That doesn't know how important it is. And so when we see this word leave, I think there's some things we need to think about. The security of Christ was never in places of rest and ease. You know, look, at, look at Jesus' life all the way from beginning to end, and it's like He never had a day of rest. He never had a, a point when He could finally get away and be free. And if, if he did, it was those times when he went into the mountain alone in the middle of the night and he prayed in those times. And that was probably Jesus' rest time if he had one. But I can imagine the intensity of those times of prayer. I can imagine the way that he prayed in those moments. I don't know because it doesn't tell us exactly. But I don't think that Jesus stayed up all night um, just praying a soft prayer. I think that there was an intensity behind his prayer and the world that he was looking at. But no matter what we see, we don't see a life of ease in our Savior. Isaiah 53 kind of depicts that for us. Also, Jesus taught and lived self-denial as a normal part of the Gospel. You know, if any, anyone could have just kind of gained for himself, it would have been Jesus, but he didn't. And he, di he didn't do it for a purpose. And he said, he that would become the servant of all will be the greatest. The Jesus' life that he was showing to us was becoming less to become greater. Having, having less about being about me and more about being about you. And that, that kind of really speaks to me a lot because this is where I think ministry is the most important. All of us are ministers. All of us, into a degree, are ministers to some degree. And it's really just treasuring people around you. Treasuring them in every way and making them a very integral part of our life. Jesus denied Himself as a normal part of life. Jesus denied Himself the pleasures of food, I'm sure, at seasons. Jesus had times when the fasting, you know, you read the 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and at the end of that fast, the kind of trial that Jesus went through for us, for them at that time, the kinds of persecutions that Jesus could have avoided if He had just become a little bit more, uh, how would I say, uh, political, in the way that he did things. But he didn't follow the political system. He didn't even follow the religious system of his time. But he did it because he wanted to bring the gospel in all of its beauty and reality to us, even when it looked like it was clothed in humility and suffering. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 20 through 25, 24 through 25. Go ahead and turn there. And then just give me a shout of amen when you get there, so that I know. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25. We're going to give a prize to the loudest amen out there. <laughs> okay, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This was Jesus' pattern, Jesus' method. 
Jesus' way, uh, you had to be a real disciple to follow Jesus. So God expressed His great word in the word lead. Jesus led His own disciples through the crucible of unpopular lifestyle to demonstrate His great love as it was passed down to humanity. See, Jesus didn't keep it for Himself, but He passed that same love to His disciples. Isn't that amazing that we're not just having human love here. We actually have the God who gave us life and breath actually putting His love in us. So He passes it down to us. And so when we take of His suffering, when you live the lifestyle of (laughs) self-denial, when you emulate the Gospel in all that Jesus did in Himself, you're just passing that same love to the human race. See, it's interesting because it's the, it's the rejection that's a part of the Gospel. It really is. When we think about it, rejection is part of the love of being a Gospel bearer to others. They didn't, they didn't accept me. They didn't, and it's not because you're, <laughs> it's not because you do it the same way everybody else does. You know what I mean? We have a way. Our world has a way of getting rejected by just being the world. Just being of the flesh. The mind of the flesh. We can create rejection and despair and hostility in life. But when you're living the pure life that Jesus called you to, you're looking to Jesus as the author and the finisher behind everything that you do. It's just amazing that how often living a purity can also cause pain. Jesus made this statement. He said in John chapter 15, 18-19, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now I find this interesting. Because how is it that Jesus found His way into the homes of sinners and was accepted there And then Jesus makes this statement to His disciples and says, you're going to be hated. Because we realized that there is another another crowd. Jesus had two crowds. He had the crowd that would worship Him, and He had the crowd that was going to persecute Him. Jesus was basically saying, there's a world of people. There's a world of people who are there to oppose the Gospel. Now, here's one of the reasons for opposition to the gospel. I don't feel like, I don't feel like that I have a need for repentance because I'm an overall good person. And it's offensive to me that you should tell me, that you should try and get me to believe in any way that I'm actually the opposite of that. It's offensive that you would imply that I'm not a good person. That I am a sinner. That I need a Savior. I don't want to hear that Gospel. I don't want to hear those words. And so there's there's a people who are not actually humbled by their uh, their own sinfulness, but actually enlarged by their pride. Every soul is so precious to God that part of His love is also revealed in His will to go after the one until he finds it. I caught that in that verse. Look again through Luke chapter 15 through uh, 1 through 7, and you'll notice that he says, it, he says, 
He leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after the one. He goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. He goes until he finds. He goes until he finds. You know, Jesus knew what his mission was. Jesus knew what he was going after. And he's, he's showing this, what happens in the life of shepherds, because he's trying to show us this is the same thing that he does in our life. He goes after the one, after the one. I want to ask you this thought. Is there somebody that you desire their salvation? I want to ask me the question. James, yes. Is there somebody that you desire their salvation so much that you're going to go after them? You're going to go after them? Now, now here, let's put a few things. James, will you go after them when they reject you? Will you go after them when they're not singing your praises? Will you go after them when they stop answering the phone calls? Will you keep praying for them when... And I keep thinking about that, and it's like, why wouldn't I? Somebody went after me. Somebody went after me. And even when I was struggling, I was like, I was kind of pushing them away. They kept coming. They came graciously. They came lovingly. They got in my circle, and they weren't just in a kind, they were kind of a bother, but yet they were kind of an inspiration at the same time. And they meant something to me. And I'll walk back now and say, thank you. I'll remember their face for the rest of my life. So I think that this is the same thing. It's that Jesus wants us to have somebody that we're going to go after. Lord, there's somebody in my prayer time. Every time I think about them, I can't get them out of my mind. When I go to bed at night, I can't stop thinking about and desiring their salvation. I, I don't give a care about how bad their life is. I don't give a care about their past and what they've done to others and to myself. I just feel like the love of God is in my heart and I can't leave this alone. And I think God births us in the quiet place, in the secret place before He makes it public. He just puts it in the secret place of our heart. And then the Holy Spirit has got this person on our minds over and over again. We just can't get over it. And then we feel pressed in prayer. And now we're praying for them. Now we're weeping for them. Now we're crying out for them. And now this pressure on our soul is built up in our spirit to where we just can't give up. And now there's this sense that God is saying, go. Go to them. Go minister to them. Don't just leave it in the prayer closet. Let them see the compassion and the love in your eyes and in your face. And so you go find the one. And I love this. It says, until he finds it. You know, what is it? I imagine, you know, have you, have you ever been in those places? We were just playing hide-and-go-seek the other yesterday. And the kids, I was hanging up. I don't know if you guys know our house, but we have the big shop. And I was trying to figure out how to get up on the roof there, but it didn't work. So we had the little one next to it. And it was just far enough to the side. I thought if I just lay there on the side, and it's not too steep that it'll fall off, and it's not metal, so I'll slide. And I was just laying on the roof, and, um, and, and Caleb was walking around trying to find us. I always find the good ones. One time I actually hid in the trunk of a car. Okay, so that's how that's how good I'll you know, it's like it, dad dad's hard to find. But see, this is the thing. There's 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 times when I've been hiding and they give up. And you know what I love? I love it when they give up because that means that I never had to give up my hiding place. So I can go use it again and again and again until 
They find it. So I think that this is the reality here is that maybe you haven't thought about this, but you're just seeking and finding. Isn't that a great thing? That we're, you know, you, you're not ready to come yet, but I'm going to keep seeking until I'm able to take you. And you know, I love what Jesus said because, you know, really, when we bring one soul, when we help, we would walk with Jesus to bring one soul to Jesus. Just one. Just one more soul is going to go to be with Jesus forever. One more soul that gets to be a part of the kingdom of God. When you are a part of that work, Jesus, you're not packing them on your shoulder. Jesus is taking that person and He's packing them on His shoulder. He's carrying them through life now. He's now taking them, because see, a lot of the pains and struggles and frustrations of life are still there. But He's now, they're walking with Him through this. They're managing life and, and he's, he's walking through them in life with them. Now, He's got them on the shoulder, walking them through the stresses of marriage, walking them through relationships with their kids that are broken, walking them through relationships with friends and people that have been forsaken or broken also. And all of these things and walking through them in the fears of trying to just share the Gospel in their newfound faith because they know people know their past life. And they're not going to believe them as a valid testimony for the moment. But Jesus is carrying them on the shoulder. And I think that that's awesome because He's not just going to stop there, but He's going to take them home. And He's also going to rejoice with the angels in heaven over them. Luke chapter 9, verse 60 through 62. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are of my house. And Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, Jesus didn't just live this. He told us this. This was for James. It was like, don't look back. And I think once we begin to see the bigger picture, there's no reason to look back. Jesus in His weakness and the needs and limitations of His human body never afforded Him an excuse to take one day off from His mission on earth. Jesus never took one day off. You know, we're always looking for a vacation. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just saying this. Don't take a day off. Even when, you are, when you're resting, you're not ultimately taking a day off. You're just resting. Jesus had two crowds. I already shared that one. But Jesus went after the one even though He never let praise flatter Him and He never let accusation distract Him. Jesus went after the one. Jesus didn't get caught up in the world nor did He ever teach it. You know, when I think of Jesus talking to us today, I think Jesus is saying some things. I want to share something with this church because while we're worshiping, the Lord gave me a word for us. The Holy Spirit showed me it's been a struggle of my own. But I want to share something because Tina Shedd said something when she got up here to worship. She said, I love, I love this church. I love our fellowship. The devil has been trying to do something in this body and I want to share it with you. He's trying to get you and me to get distracted on what we think somebody else here is thinking about us. And what's happened is, is that we're not getting close to each other. We're not getting as close to each other as we could because we feel that way. 
tell me that there hasn't been some times where there's been this thought that's arisen in heart or mind, and you're thinking, I feel like this situation, and it's created, uh, what do we say, a negative impression of somebody else. And the Lord told me, said, this is happening right now in this church. It's happening here with you guys. And you're second-guessing one another, and you need to walk away from that. You need to start trusting one another deeper than you have been. You need to let go of your fear of what somebody else is thinking and communicate with them truly. Some of us need to go and clear the air with somebody because we thought this was this is what they were thinking or feeling. We need to get these things out in the open. And the Lord gave me this word for us, for me too. Believe me, probably more for me than you guys for yourselves. But he said, communicate through this. Don't let your thoughts keep you from being the church that I've called you to be. I believe this is a precious word of God. And I'm, I'm telling you, I felt like God gave me this word for us. The Lord is telling me in this that Satan is trying to create a distraction over the body of Christ to cause us to fear and to lose hope. You know, today while we were worshiping and sharing testimony, I'm just feeling enlivened. I'm feeling enlivened, not threatened, but enlivened as I'm hearing you guys sing and praise and worship the Lord. And what I feel like the Lord is doing right now is He's sifting. He's sifting anything that even seems like it's small so that we can be closer together, that we will never fail to feel secure in one another's love. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this is God's challenge for us. Be on the lookout right now. Be on the guard for those thoughts, those subtle thoughts that make you feel like, well, I don't know if I can go talk to so-and-so. I don't know if I can go do this because I feel like somebody might not want me to do this. I don't know if, just fill in the blank, when you get that impression I'm going to say to the church, me too, go and communicate with them. Pray first. Lord, I want to communicate. Do not communicate out of the feeling because the feeling is probably wrong. Do not communicate out of the feeling. Communicate out of the expectation. Belief that your brother and sister have your heart at mind. Please hear me on this. And the other part of it is this. I think the devil wants to get in this body. He wants to get in our lives simply through this one avenue. He wants to create a doubt in our lives for one another, and He wants it to stick. He wants it to hold. Don't let Him hold it. Don't let Him have a place. So I think when Jesus has let, let the dead bury their dead, I think He's saying, let's, let's go on and move forward in the kingdom of God. Let's see that it says the devil looks for opportunities in wiles. Some of you may feel that way toward me, and I want, I want these relationships to be whole. I really do. So communication is a very important thing, and as we work to be honest and humble with one another, and honesty is, is a part of it, but humble with one another. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, last few things. True discipleship looks like Jesus. You know, we ask, what is a disciple? Is a disciple somebody that just looks like Jesus? 
Culture changes, Jesus doesn't. Men are developing methods, Jesus is making disciples. And we are still capable of loving God and our neighbor the same way Jesus taught us to. Jesus 